Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Sometimes needing new tires can catch us by surprise. That's why tire power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tirepower.com.au or call 13 21 91. This is the Rugby Run on your Sunday afternoon. Ricardo Ball, Justin Marshall with you. G'day, Marshy. How you doing? Good afternoon, Ricardo. Good afternoon to everybody joining us for the uh, Sunday Rugby Run. Um, I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I spent uh, yesterday afternoon in Wellington uh, commentating the Wellington-Hawks Bay fixture there. Uh, afternoon rugby, 2 o'clock, which was brilliant. Um, meant that I got to the pub nice and early, mate, to, <laughs> to watch the game following, which was the Canterbury-Northland game. Uh, and... Um, yeah, had a pretty good Saturday, to be fair. Priorities, mate, priorities. It's, it's, it's some good pubs in Wellington too, isn't there? It's a good place to, to go to, uh, yep. to, to to find a spot to watch footy. Yeah, there is. Yeah, we went to an old school pub called the Cambridge uh, and um, I went with uh, Grant Nisbet and Ian Smith and uh, we had a bit of a debrief and a uh, good catch up. But yeah, it's, it's not that regularly that we get uh, sort of released that early in, in the uh, evening, mate, because usually calling games around 7 o'clock, you know, you're 9.30, 10 o'clock um, at, at night and everybody's winding up by then or they're at a different stage of, yeah. of the day. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it was quite good to be able to sit back and, and watch the footy on the TV. Uh, and, um, yeah, if you know Smithy and Nisbo well, there, yeah. there was also plenty of screens with the uh, with the races on as well. I was going to ask you, who won on the punt? I mean, the three of you, I'd imagine there was a fair bit of that going on. Yeah, there was. Yeah, a little bit of punting was going on. Um, I think I sort of broke even on the day. Um, I wouldn't call it educated punting. I'd call it absolute gambling. <laughs> Good stuff, mate. Good stuff. You were, of course, part of the call team on that game uh, between uh, Wellington and Hawks Bay. We were on the chat. We've got our we've got our rugby run chat, and I was saying, oh, maybe we should look at getting somebody out of Wellington uh, to talk mm. about this because it looks like they're going to clean up Hawks Bay. And it was eighteen nil when I said that, and not long after that, it was twenty one eighteen to Hawks Bay. <laughs> I was like, wow, yes. commentators curse. Yeah, to a degree. Uh, it was a it was a strange old game. Um, Full of errors, which was uh, really unusual given the, the, the situation with the weather was so good. Uh, dry ball, uh, and again, yeah, sun on your back and, and afternoon rugby. Uh, no dew to speak of. You would expect skill levels to be a lot higher than what they were. Uh, there was lots of penalties, uh, and there were there were lots of errors in the game as well. Um, you know, up over this, up around the 40 mark, handling errors and turnovers. So. It was kind of meandering along, and then all of a sudden, Hawks Bay got themselves back in, into the game and got themselves ahead, which sparked Wellington in a, into life. And then they they got ahead again, and then you know, right at right at the the final um, whistle, Hawks Bay had an opportunity with a, a line out five meters out and, and couldn't convert uh, that. And uh, yeah, Wellington are the team to go through. So strange old day at the office, really. Not not the not a classic game of rugby, but it was classic by still being dramatic. What was the crowd like, mate? Because, you know, Wellington uh, rugby fans t- 
took a bit of tap um, after they took the shield. You know, there was a lot of a lot made of the fact that it was the first time they'd had the shield in 13 years, and then they the first defences against Waikato was obviously a big game in the NPC shake-up as well, uh, and then 3,000 turned up, and they, they kind of got... Uh, you know, sort of questioned about how how much rugby does mean to them in the capital when when you have that sort of turnout. What was it? Was it a better turnout for the game against Hawks Bay? Pretty similar to what they usually get. So no, by by no means. Even given Wellington's success having the shield, I think that's eight wins on the bounce for them. Mm. Uh, so they're tracking along quite nicely. They've got the shield all secured away. It was a quarterfinal. Um, you know, I would expect there to be you know five or six thousand more people given the run that they're having uh, so yeah still to a degree disappointing uh, there were some familiar faces in the crowd we managed to spot Adi Savia there with his family watching the game Ma'anonu was there watching the game um, but yeah um, unfortunately uh, the people of Wellington aren't probably getting out as much as what they should to, to support a team that's going very very well uh, I don't know whether the fact that the Phoenix are playing today had an effect on people ch- choosing what ticket to buy um and how popular that game is today. It'll be interesting to see what sort of a crowd they get for that. Fascinating after kickoff to see uh, immediately the grounds people going to work to prepare a, a game uh, for a game after being roughed up by rugby for mm. what fo- footballers' expectations of a field should be like. Um, but, geez, they can convert a field pretty bloody quickly into a completely different um, uh, 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 situation for, uh, for the round ball game. Yeah, it's quite different the way they like the surfaces, eh? you know, football tend to like the grass yeah. a little bit shorter and they like the, the field to be wet and rugby like it to be dry so it doesn't tear up and they like the grass a bit longer so you've got deeper root structure so the scrums don't tear into pieces. Well, that's it's fascinating, isn't it, Ricardo? Because it's, it's, a, it's a big part of your, your mentality as a player when you go along, um, particularly when you're not at home and you're not as familiar with, with the match conditions and you look at the heaviness of the field, you know, that affects what what studs you wear. Um, you know, you look You look at some fields have slight slopes on them. You remember the famous one in Hamilton, the old uh, the rugby corner down there? Um, and and lots, of, lots of fields are different and, and, and then they do vary. And, and um, you know, they, they are all part of conditions and, and everybody gets the opportunity to, I guess, dictate them, particularly when it comes to football. I remember when I first moved over to the UK and I got take, taken to um, watch a Hotnum, uh, Tottenham Hotspurs game and, it was an absolutely outstanding uh, occasion. You know, they were, playing, they were playing Fulham and it was a bit of a, a local derby, but it was a beautiful afternoon uh, in London and I was sitting there waiting for the game to start and all of a sudden the sprinklers came on and um, <laughs> they, complete, they completely saturated the field. And I said to the guy I was with, I said, what, what the hell is going on here? And he said, oh, our players, we like um, to play uh, our style of game with the ball coming skidding on. And I said, I don't, how, how can you... Like you're actually affecting the way that the game's being played by, uh, you know, doctoring the conditions at the last minute. And he said, yep, no, we're allowed to do that. So that was that action. <laughs> yeah, bit of an eye-opener, mate. Bit of an eye-opener. I'll tell you the other... Well, imagine if you could do that in rugby. Yeah. If you were a side that like, like Canterbury, who have a very, very good um, forward pack, that you and you just wanted to play in really difficult conditions where the game becomes a grind and it's played territory scrum lineout wise, and you were able to saturate the field so that the ball's like a cake of soap before the game. You're completely manufacturing the game to your strengths. Mm. If you're 
it's fascinating to think about, isn't it? Yeah, I tell, you, I tell you what, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Of course, you, we saw your Cantabs uh, take on Northland as well after that Wellington game against Hawke's Bay. 23-16, they ran out winners. Mate, that's a... I know that Northland gave you a good hurry up last time uh, in the round robin, yeah. but you, uh, this was even closer. Were you uh, you surprised by that? No, I wasn't. I was actually on um, the breakdown for Sky uh, last Sunday, and we we did our predictions. And uh, they asked me if you know if Canterbury were going to win, and I said I think Canterbury will win, but they certainly won't have it all their own way. Um, you know, commentating that first game that they did uh, that, that they played, and and seeing how good a side Northland are, and they're very well balanced, they've got ambition to play, that I said, they won't they won't go away quickly, and they'll, they'll stay in the fight, and they've got plenty of talent. So I wasn't surprised to see it as, as close as it, what it was, because um, they, are, they are a good outfit, and they didn't disappoint. You know, Canterbury are in some sort of rhythm at the moment, but um, Northland can be really proud of their season, but also the way that they fronted. It's never easy to beat Canterbury on their home patch, in any environment or in any day, um, regardless of beating Canterbury or the Crusaders or whoever. So, yeah, they, they were in the fight, and I didn't, and I expected nothing less from them. They are a good side. Yeah, very good side. Uh, Graham from Christchurch is on the phone. He's called through 0800 150 811. Uh, Graham, what did you make of the game? Were you there? Oh, of course I was there, Ricardo. Yeah, um, yeah, and no, I agree with what Justin said. I um, I thought it'd be, I thought they were going to be tough. Um, a lot of people thought, oh, you know. A walker, you know, you sort of get the general feeling, you know, seven dollars at the TAB Northland or whatever. But I, I don't take much notice of that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, the score flattered us a bit in the round robin against Northland, but um, yeah, they they came to play, and you know, that was uh, a tough watch from a Canterbury point of view because I thought <laughs> we, we could get tipped up here, but they just did enough. You know, I thought Fergus Burke played well again at first five, and. Um, the two halfbacks, Mitch Drummond and, and Willie Hines, but you know they, they they took it to us up front, and um, yeah, no, we made a few mistakes, and you know, and they 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 more, you know they played rugby, they didn't just feed off our mistakes, but yeah, no, I mean it's been a good competition this year, and yesterday, you know the the crowd got its money's worth, you know it wasn't wasn't one way traffic. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly think Graham the other the other. Thing that I noticed, uh, having watched the game, and I obviously couldn't hear it, but I could see it, was that that Canterbury have this uh, ability like no other side when they need to go to something when the game is tight. Uh, that 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 then that, that is the scrum. Like, yeah, time and time again, I saw them push Northland off their own ball, and they had um, uh, Fussy and Co playing, and they had pretty formidable. But Canterbury just have it as such a weapon, and it gets them out of jail quite a lot, but it's a valuable weapon to have. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, guys like Tomite Williams, you know, he's gone up a Mm. gear or two this year. And then you got Owen Franks back um, coming off the bench yesterday. So, um, you know, yeah, they're super international level, super rugby level props. I mean, Northland did, yeah, had had their boy, the All Black and Blues player, off a, off a plane. But, um, yeah, but yeah, the Canterbury collective, um, yeah, mindset, like, but like the Crusaders, yeah, if you if you got to win ugly, you know, it's about winning, you know, as you know, Justin, and um, you know, yeah. you you got to you got to do what you got to do, and and that, and that's a good fallback position if you. You know, and that's what it amounted to yesterday. Um, 
Definitely. Yeah, good stuff, Graham. Thanks for your call, mate. Uh, appreciate no, you listening. Man, have a go you well, boys. Good afternoon. Yeah, yep. will do, mate. It's 11 past one. Hey, Justin, just before we uh, uh, get to Ken Laban, I just want to double-check with you, given that Northland were playing Canterbury yesterday, and I was looking for the name Goodhue. Uh, Jack, where's he at, do you know? Because I know he had an injury, but they thought he was going to get games in the NPC and could be in the mix for the end-of-year tour, but I, I've not seen him the last three or four weeks. No, and I'm unsure as well. Uh, I certainly saw that um, same dialogue and uh, on the fact that he was going to get some game time and that. But um, yeah, it must be more niggly than mm. than what we know. So yeah, unfortunate because you know, really, really good player and somebody. Yeah, like you say, I think Graham mentioned a few there too that I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, if good he was fit and available, I thought he probably would go um, on that AB's fifteen, but. I don't. I don't discount the fact that they um, probably. I reckon will be looking at Fergus Burke. Mm. Uh, he's been bloody solid, and he can. He can play twelve as well. Uh, and to Mighty Williams, um, mate, I need to get on his diet. Whatever he's on, <laughs> he's, I need to get some of that stuff because he he has dropped some kilos. He is looking just much leaner, much more mobile. Uh, and and he to me is um, he, he is. I reckon he's a shoo-in to go on that trip, absolutely. So, yeah, I think some players have really, uh, during the NPC, have really thrown themselves into the framework for not only Super Rugby contracts, but also that next level off the All Blacks with this team that's going over there uh, in November. We do have a, a Rugby World Cup on our own doorstep. The Women's at Rugby World Cup is here. It kicked off yesterday with a triple header at Eden Park and uh, from the UK, coming down here to cover it from the Women's Rugby Show podcast host and presenter, Sam, by the way. G'day, Sam. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, thank you. Not bad. Just here at day two at Wangare as well. Yeah, so you've, you've gone north uh, for Italy versus uh, the US. We'll get to that, mate. But, I mean, first uh, first day of the World Cup, how was the spectacle for you? Uh, how impressed were you with the crowds that you saw there? Yeah, the atmosphere, it was building throughout the day, and I was quietly impressed with how um, full it was for the first game. I think it could have been easy for... Um, nobody to turn up South Africa against France, and then it filled through that game, and then... The England against Fiji game, I think 95% of that crowd wanted Fiji to win, and I think it got on England's back as well. And then for the the Blackburns against Australia game, the hacker and the national anthem was goosebumps even for me as an Englishman. Yeah, it's interesting. It's something you probably won't know is that there's a, a large a large population of South Africans here in Auckland, particularly, uh, particularly on the North Shore. So that might explain that early that early crowd against the French. Um, I mean, the French, the uh, the Black Ferns, and and the English are the are the three big dogs at the tournament, if you like, the ones that everybody expects to go uh, deep. Um, fair to say that England are the only one that probably played to that potential yesterday. Yeah, I think so. I think, and even then, the first half, England weren't very good. England weren't up to their full potential. I think they knew that, and then they came out second half and did reach that full potential. They played nice rugby. They kind of got, but in the first half, they kind of got sucked into playing how Fiji wanted them to play because Fiji are the best team in the world at playing unstructured rugby, and England got sucked into that. But then France got sucked into the way South Africa wanted to play and kind of unstructured, um, a little bit bitty rugby. And then the Blackburns were, I think, over um, by the situation of, and the crowd and the noise. And then but I think it's all going to come for those three. Like you said, they are the favourites and they're the favourites for the reason. 
Yeah, they are. I mean, uh, they've also played... Um, uh, you know, the Black Ferns have played the Wallaroos four times now this season, so they, they know each other pretty well, but they came out of the blocks pretty well, uh, the Aussies. It took the Black Ferns a while to peg them back. What about France then, Sam? Because we don't see a lot of them. Uh, last we saw them was them um, handing us our backsides in the last Northern Tour. Um, but, I mean, I, based off that, I had them as, as very much second favourites for this tournament behind England. But, you know, with the bookies and things, they're third favourites and a little bit further back than I expected. Are France just not as good as we think they are here? I mean, they did have that loss to Italy before the tournament, didn't they? Yeah, I think they, they think they probably are as good as you think they are when they play to 100%, but it's typical of the French rugby, the whole, not just women's rugby. You know what the French men are like when they travel somewhere. They're so like inconsistent. They struggle at times, and they just make weird decisions. There's been a couple of selection decisions that, a lot of rugby journalists are a little bit baffled by not taking some of their key players and bringing in an uncapped sevens player who made a debut yesterday. She did score, but I don't, it wasn't as impressive as a debut as we thought. I think people thought, but they are as good. But they've had a difficult year. They've kind of restructured their coaching setup to promote their assistant coach ahead of their head coach. So he's now the head coach, which doesn't really make sense to a lot of people, but. I think they're going to grow into the tournament. Yesterday um, was kind of the start of it for them. And from your take on the Black Ferns, obviously 17 uh, all against the Wallaroos, uh, which is a lot tighter than I think most Kiwi rugby fans had it. They, they ended up blowing them away in the second half. Um, what are your, what's your take on that Black Ferns um, 15 uh, and the reliance, particularly on Portia Woodman, for, uh, for finishing off tries? Yeah, I think... Obviously, Portia is world-class. She's still up there as one of the best players in the world, both 7s and 15s. But there is a slight reliance on there. But there, you also have now have, you have Ruby Tui on the other wing. Obviously, she's, she was a crowd favourite yesterday. Every time she got the ball, the crowd roared like louder than it did all day. And then, so I think there's less of a reliance on Portia now, but it still is there. But I think for the Black Ferns, they needed to get that win yesterday because and for the tournament to keep the crowds clean. But for them themselves, if they didn't get that win yesterday, they're going to be struggles to play things going into the next stages. So, like I said for France, it's about the Black Ferns growing into competition. They're not going to lose the World Cup in this group stage. They're going to lose the World Cup by playing poorly in a quarterfinal, semi-final or a final. What about um, the Italians then? I know that they're leading at halftime against the United States currently. Um, we, we've mentioned the, the, the big three, if you like, in England, France and New Zealand. Uh, but given that the Italians did knock over the French leading into this tournament, are they a smoky? Yeah, I think so. I think they have the capability to beat all of those Six Nations teams, maybe bar England, but they still England do get run close by France for a good 40 minutes of the game before England blow them away. And I think that's kind of down to fitness, down to England's experience. But Italy kind of have this now to beat teams. They suck them in and then teams don't know how to beat them. I think it, they're doing it to it's the USA at the moment. They're, USA is struggling to get out. USA's line-out isn't working. And the Italians are, are impressive. It's been a bit of a unstructured game. I think Italy aren't quite performing, but they do have that capability to upset teams. Yeah, all right. We'll be interested to keep an eye on them as the tournament progresses. Sam, uh, thanks very much for your time, mate. I know you're, uh, you're reporting on all these games as they go and the, the second half is underway, so we'll let you get back to the United States versus Italy, mate. Uh, enjoy the rest of your stay. No doubt we'll talk again and uh, keep up the good work on the uh, Women's Rugby Show podcast. Cheers, thank you.
Cheers, Sam, by the way, with us out of the UK. Ken Laban, g'day, Ken, how you doing? Yeah, very good, thanks, mate. Nice to be on your show. Yeah, thanks for coming on, mate. Auckland brought a bit, bit back against North Harbour. Many fancied North Harbour in that game. Were you surprised by that result? I know it was pretty dramatic. Um, Harry Plummer clutching it at the finish, but uh, many thought Harbour would win that one reasonably comfortable. But they didn't. Yeah, well, yeah, well like you, mother, I don't like to disrespect uh, other teams as well, but that back three of Sean Stevenson, um, Tavita Lee and uh, <clears throat> and Mark Talia, um, they would be close to the best back three um, in, the, in the Bunnings NBC. Their ability to return the ball from the backfield is special. Uh, nobody's going to beat Tavita Lee as a top try scorer um, for the year, and they're, and they're now out of the competition. He's that far ahead. I think he's sitting on 12 next group of players are on nine. Um, and they're so good. And, of course, Sean Stevenson, I'd be surprised if he's not there or thereabouts in that all-black 15 um, as well. And I thought that if there was going to be an X factor that would separate North Harbour from the pack this year, it would be their back three. But, you know, Auckland were able to um, nullify the threat that they were and uh, hang on and get the job done. Uh, Ken, as a man who loves both uh, overball codes, there's a lot of talk about Sean Stevenson going to the Dolphins um, or being too, you know, having conversations with Wayne Bennett. He was over there, what, a couple of weeks ago for a couple of days. How do you reckon he'd go in the 13 man? Yeah, well, to my knowledge, he's never played rugby league. Uh, so that would be, um, that would be a challenge uh, for him. And I've been commentating Sean since he was the 15 year old at Auckland Grammar during our coverage of Landon over the first 15 right the way through. To, um, to, where, to where he's playing now. So he hasn't had a season or hasn't had any experience at that um, rugby league. And if he was going to play or front the fullback rugby uh, league, he's in some pretty elite company when you consider that, um, you know, James Tedesco is over there, Chagoyevich at Manly, Latrell Mitchell at South Sydney. Um, and you've got Joseph Suwali as well, who's... Some say it's going to be a fullback in uh, in first grade in the next few weeks. So, you know, I don't think that Sean would be at that level. I'm not sure, you know, if that's the best thing for him to do at this stage of his um, of his career. Um, because, you know, I would have thought that to me, I look at Sean Stevenson. There are no weaknesses in his game. All he's lacking for in terms of getting elevated to the next level is an opportunity. Obviously, he's not going to get that if he goes to rugby league. You've got your pulse, Kenny, on uh, the NPC, on obviously our, through doing a lot of the college uh, rugby as well, on, on our growth in the game and our talent coming through. Uh, in, any of that young talent uh, that you see and have been seeing so far this season that you think could be bolters to go on that All Black 15 um, that Leon McDonald's coaching and the, and the All Black selectors are selecting? Yeah, I don't... I, I, I don't know that I don't know that they would be bolters. Uh, mate, I think that there's an obvious I reckon that there is an obvious look to how that all black fifteen um is going to put together and I think it's gonna be you know, there's gonna be those that are not gonna get regular not gonna get regular time um with the all black. So what would we do with Peter Fetter? Should he go with the all black team or should he go in the all black fifteen? So that would determine whether or not a bolter comes through for that. You know, what are they gonna do with Roger Trevis Hashik? Is he going to be in the All Blacks or should he go on the All Black 15 and play two full games um, as well? So, you know, I don't know the answer to those kinds of questions. But I would think if they were picking a strong All Black team and a strong All Black 15, 
I wouldn't think that there's room for too many boulders that we don't already know about. You mentioned RTS before. Uh, the the uh, story seems to have been that uh, Ian Foster's picked the phone up and asked Auckland to play him at 14. Um, it feels to me like a, maybe not a failed experiment, but experiment, but he just feels wasted uh, out there. What's your take? Yeah, well, I think he primarily came to play in the midfield back and backs and came to play, um, you know, he's doing a rugby and the Blues, you know, they're not going to spend the kind of money that was required to get him across and not play him. So now I guess they've got to try to find a spot for him um, in the team. But, you know, if you talk about 14, have a serious conversation about um, about 14. Well, our two best 14s in the game are Severu Reese and, um, and Will Jordan. I don't think you get any argument um, against that and Rogers older than both of them. So um, I don't know if it's a failed experiment. We all want we all want him to be the kind of player he was in rugby league and rugby union. Um, yeah. You know that's what our, I guess that's our measure of a success um, for that exercise, and we still haven't seen that. Uh, good stuff, kid, mate. Oh, we'll let you go. We'll let you go and get prepped, mate, uh, for for that big game. Good luck with the call, man. Have a great call and enjoy the match. Cheers. Thank you very much. Cheers, uh, Ken Laban there with us. Justin, uh, I've had a couple of texts coming through uh, here. Hey, guys, what time is the All Blacks Northern Tour squad and the All Blacks 15 named? Um, that, are they named at the same time? Uh, I know that I'm pretty sure the All Blacks is 4 p.m. I, I don't know when they're uh, due to announce that All Blacks 15, so I couldn't answer that. Um, convincingly, but I'm pretty sure the All Blacks is four, four o'clock. Yeah, it makes sense to have them both out at the same time, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, the All Black selectors have been busy, uh, and coaches, obviously. Uh, and in fact, we don't actually have All Black selectors anymore because uh, Joe Smith, who was that independent, who who took over from Grant Fox, got uh, obviously into a coaching role with the All Blacks, so it has left no independent selector out there. And I don't know if that's a good thing mm. um, because... I do like the idea of somebody who is on the peripheral and is inputting ideas and giving the coaches something else or a different player to think about rather than be rather than being inside uh, from a coaching perspective and and maybe not getting uh, I guess that ability to throw names or throw players in there because everybody's talking about the same the same type of player so yeah, I'm not, I think they maybe need to relook at that now that Joe's involved in the coaching role, um, and I'm not sure for how long that is. Uh, but yeah, pretty sure that that announcement um, is at four for the All Blacks. But whether or not they've had the time also to to fully pick that other side, uh, I couldn't tell you. Uh, now we also have this one through from Anthony, which I can answer. How many games in New Zealand are you playing uh, up north? Three or four? Um, it should be at least that much. I, well, I I agree. It's actually only two. Oh. Yeah, Island A and Barbars, right? So, but Anthony, I think they they probably should have at least one more, shouldn't they, Justin? Yeah, you would think so. But they are two decent challenges. Uh, you know, it was really interesting, wasn't it? Talking to Leon last week, the coach mm. of this All Blacks fifteen and um, or New Zealand fifteen, whatever. We, we've, we, we've when it gets announced today, we actually find out what they're called, which would be a good thing. Uh, but. <laughs> He, um, he he quite conclusively said, he said, look, I know the challenges that are facing us with Razor and the Barbarians, but he said equally, this Island A side, they will be very difficult. They've shown with the players that they brought out here and took on the New Zealand Māori that they are a force to be reckoned with. They've got great depth. They've got some awesome emerging players. Uh, and, and you know, the, the guys that are sitting just underneath that starting 
23 for Ireland, that next level of player is very, very good. And he did say that that is going to be possibly an even bigger challenge than the Barbarians who have to try and get together and formulate a game plan and, you know, try and try and get a group in, in, in a week uh, under a good mindset to play. Um, whereas, you know, Ireland, they'll be sitting ready and waiting to go. They will be. Um, Justin, you know, one of the big questions that I think has been talked about for about the last two weeks is Peter Fetter. He's had 50 seconds um, of, of all-back experience, but he's actually lit Taranaki up when he's gone back into Taranaki. Uh, and there's been a lot of talk about whether or not it's going to be him or Damien McKenzie as the third first five with the All Blacks. But for mine, you know, Damien McKenzie's come back from Japan into the NPC and hasn't lit it up at all. Uh, not like the way Peter Fetter's changed things for his Taranaki side when he's gone back in there. I mean, so that that's probably going to be one of the, the most interesting points to see where they go on that front. Yeah, it is. And I think uh, the problem with Damien McKenzie is he's he's a bit of a in a bit of a situation, unfortunately, where he's not got a regular position. So he's mm. you know he's either moving from ten to fifteen or fifteen to ten, uh, and and he really needs to find you know that that regular game time in a jersey. You know we know that he can play both, but you've got to have a statement jersey, and 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 that's the jersey you're in, unless for some reason or another, um, there's an injury or there's a problem that you slot in there. And, uh, you know, at the moment, it's a bit, I'm a bit unsure as to what his best position is and probably the, the All Blacks are as well. But, yeah, I don't think he's uh, by any means any worse a player. He's just taken a little bit of time to find his rhythm at the moment. Uh, and um, no doubt that is a, an interesting conundrum that they've been through. Um, personally, Look, I, I certainly feel I feel that both of them should be in that New Zealand fifteen. Yeah. There you go. I, I think I think they know the All Blacks what Damien McKenzie brings for them. Uh, the fact that they can play Geordie or Bowden at fullback or Will Will uh, Will Jordan as well. Um, you know they've got three options there at fullback. Uh, they've got good options at ten with Moanga and Bowden Barrett. You know he probably won't get any game time for the All Blacks, Damien McKenzie. So best to get him into that other environment and they'll need his experience along with Peter Feta and I'd, I'd like to see McKenzie at fullback and Peter Feta at 10 and Fakatava at 9 for that New Zealand 15 if I was perfectly honest. Yeah, it's something we'll talk more about with Sir John Kerwin when he joins yeah. us after 2 o'clock. Uh, yeah, but... Oh, well, I look forward to that Ricardo and sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you there but by how we, me and him had a bit of a ding dong on TV the other day when we, we started talking about Damien McKenzie and Peter Feder and which team they should and shouldn't be in. So, in fact, we've got a bet, an on air TV bet going. So, uh, yeah, that, that should be spicy. I might, I might keep quiet when we talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to fire him up again. So, John Kerwin joins us uh, to be part of that conversation. G'day, JK. How are you? Afternoon, gents. Now, I've How are got, we? we're, we're good. I've been asked, I have to ask you this off the top. Will Damien McKenzie be in the All Blacks team or the All Black 15? I don't think we've got time not to have him in the in the All Black side. You know, I think that uh, you think about who's coming back and where our pressure points are. I think our pressure points are midfield, um, and that that versatile back that can actually make an impact. So I think we missed him dearly in the um, you know in the last World Cup because of his injury. And I just think we need to chuck him straight back in there. That's sort of my opinion. 
I'm watching them come back after Japan. I know a few players have struggled, you know, to to maybe get back to the level they were after playing in Japan a while. But he doesn't seem to have made the impact at NPC level. I thought he would have when you compare him to say the bloke he's gunning uh, gunning for a position with was Stephen Petafeto, and he's gone back in a Taranaki. They've really lifted with him in there. Yeah, look, I think that what we're seeing is the way I see, um, you know, Damien is actual impact i think he is unique as a player and so coming on you know late in a test match i know he'll hate this because he'll want to he'll want to be you know either a 10 or a 15 probably 15 and he can do that but it's a different attitude you know you settle into a game you play your game he plays 10 and 15 you know and i think that when you play two positions like he does i don't think you can be sort of um you know amazing at both if you know what I mean mm. but I think that when you think about an impact he's the type of guy that can come off a bench when people are tired and just really cut them up so for me I'm thinking of it selfishly I'm not thinking of him as as our fullback or as our first five I'm thinking of him as our incredible x-factor impact player that I don't think too many other nations have JK, where do you think that these all-black coaches will go? Because it is there is no independent selector anymore. Obviously, Joe Smith was that that uh, guy sitting on the peripheral. He's now inside the camp. Do you think that they will go along the lines of keeping the squad together, knowing what they've got? Or do you think some guys that do need rugby that were in that squad, the likes of Falau Fakataba, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, will find themselves in, in that other side? Or do you think that they will keep them in their environment and still restrict them from playing the rugby they need? Marshy, I don't think we've got time, mate. I don't think they can play with anything. So I think they'll go conservative. I'm actually mm. expecting, you know, two changes. And, you know, I don't think Fakatava should go on the All Black Tour, not because he's not good enough. I just think they, I just think they should put him with the, the, the New Zealand 15 and just play him every damn game, you know. Um, I also sure. think that Brad's playing, playing the house down. I mean, you're the halfback. You're the expert in this area. You know, I'm not. But I, I just think that that's what I'd do. I mean, Roger Tuivasa-Shek, I don't know why he's gone on the wing. Has he lost confidence? Does he not think he can be a world-class um, 12 anymore? Has he got some doubts, you know? And if that's the case... Mm. Or does he just think he can get back into the football team by covering two positions and that'll get him on the bench, you know? So they're the biggest discussions. I mean, what do you do at your third uh, nine? Because you're wasting your time if Fakatava's not going to play two test matches, aren't you? Yep. Yep, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And I don't feel that they're finding enough out about him without him actually physically being out there getting game time. And they know what they can get out of Brad Weber. And... They, they, they also, I think, I, I mentioned even the, the likes of Peter Feta, and if they decide to put Damien McKenzie in that side, they have them there in the UK anyway, where they can call on them should they need them. Um, so, you know, if they feel they need that... Let, I mean, let's, be, let's, squad, be honest, let's be honest about... You know, let's be honest about this, Marshy. You know, let's yeah. think about this real cold... We're probably looking for players from 28 to 36 to go to the World Cup. Would that be fair? Yes. Yep. Right. So we actually don't need 
them being on the All Black Tour, being from 28 to 36 and not playing. What we need of them is going away and getting really tested against, you know, you imagine if you're overseas and you're playing the New Zealand 15, it's going to be a huge game. And we're going to, guys are really going to be found out because if you don't approach that game like it's an All Black game, the people who you're playing, as far as they're concerned, they're playing the All Black. It's an interesting one, isn't it, JK? I mean, you've played a fair bit in the 14 jersey. What have you made of Roger Tuivasa-Shek as a 14 in these last couple of games for Auckland? It feels like he he doesn't get involved enough from 14 for me. Yeah, well, look, I I don't... I, if I were, this is my personal opinion. I don't think he offers us as much on the wing as he does at 12. I love his feet at 12. I saw enough early when he was at 12, that outside step of his, those fast feet that he's got, breaking through the line, offloading. You know, if if you said to me, um, world-class, and look, Roger Tuivasa-Shek wants to be world-class, wants to dominate a position. He's changed over to, to do that, just like Sonny Bill did, right? So he would not be my first four uh, selections on the win. So that's why I don't understand the move. I don't think he's got the out-and-out pace of um, Cebu. Or I don't think he's got the dancing feet on the wing that Cebu Reese has got. I don't think he's got the out-and-out pace of Will Jordan. I don't think he's got the, the, the incredible power of Caleb Clark. So that puts him at number four for me. Now, at number 12, it's different. I think Geordie's made that transition. But when you think about 12, I'm saying if we can persist with him, if we can play him there, I can see some world-class differences in his play. I don't see that on the wing. Um, once again, is he playing on the wing? Because that gives him, you know, I can play on the wing, I can play 12, so they're going to sit me on the bench 12. I'm going to get some more test time because I cover two positions. I don't know. I don't know what you think, Marshy. Yeah, look, I, I certainly feel that uh, what he needs is he, he needs some direction and he needs his own confidence of what the best jersey is for his skill set and, and he needs to be able to then have the mindset of what he can bring to that jersey. At the moment I'm not sure whether or not he's, his mindset and his individual um, X factor that he's got is being properly utilised and maybe that's just he's playing under too much instruction but I think if he's going to play 12, he's got he's got to reinvent the jersey in a way that suits his skills, and, and we'll see the best out of him. That's my personal opinion on it. Um, I also wanted to oh, start I agree, with JK. but that needs time, you're, right, you're saying, that need to, that, eh? Sorry, mate, yeah. I agree with you, but that needs time, right? And that's the trouble. You know, yeah. he's had probably the worst luck ever. Came over COVID, didn't get to play. Now we're running out of test matches to see him. You know, and, and he mm. came out the other day and said he's going to stay a long time, so maybe he's going to give his rugby adventure more time. But I agree with you. I think he can bring something different at 12 that yeah. we don't have. Yeah, yeah, and we need to see it. Um, you reckon there are only going to be possibly a couple of changes, so are you factoring into that the fact that when they named their rugby championship squad um, and uh, there was players like... Uh, Laulala uh, and that that were involved. Um, do you then see them still retaining their spots, or do you do you feel that they are going to move in a different direction, particularly up front with the the more mobile prop? Oh, I think they'll take a combination. I think Laulala's under under pressure for sure. I think you know offers under a little bit of pressure. These guys are going to have to pick their game up if they want to be competitive. Yeah. But I think the the new brigade have come in and said, 
you know, we're not as big, but man, we can scrum and man, we can carry the ball and man, we've got some energy and man, we don't mind bashing people. Um, you know, I, you know how much respect I've got for Offa. I think he's been an amazing um, young man, but he, you, you know what the All Blacks are like, Marshy? Everyone's coming at you. Mm-hmm. And so now there's internal yes. competition, which I reckon is really healthy. Look, mate, the only, the only change I see is in the backs. I don't see any change in the forwards. I think they'll stick with the status quo. I think, um, you know, what Laulala and Offa does, it gives them a different type of front rower. You know, if you're going up against, say, maybe those big Frenchmen or, or the, you know, the, the, the English front rowers, then maybe you're saying, I'm going to pick a different type of front row for, for 50 minutes. Um, you know, maybe maybe Angus is the guy that's that's probably going to miss out in, in all this. And, and, you know, I think Angus has, has brings something different in the game. But I think, the, I think it's, you know, Damien McKenzie, Anton Letter-Brown, you know, and that would be the change because you really, what did they take for the championship? 30, 36 or something? They're only taking 36 on tour. So I can only see one or two changes. I don't think they'll touch the forward. Yeah, no, they're only able to add one. So that's from that rugby championship. It's just how much tweaking they do. I will appreciate you as always on a Sunday. Before you go, we'll have to let you gloat a little bit. Um, Auckland got the job done, mate. Not many predicted that they would, but. Uh, they managed to beat uh, North Harbour in that Battle of the Bridge. What did you make of that? You would have warmed your heart, JK, I'm sure. Yeah, I did, mate, because I, I think that North Harbour were probably the informed side. Um, I, was with the, I was with the CEO of North Harbour at Bucks, do, you know, and the Battle of the Bridge is something that we're really passionate about. Two really good sides. Yeah. I probably felt that they let the occasion get to them a wee bit. Um, you know, I watched it and I felt that they were dominating in times and just didn't quite... Um, take those big moments and then Auckland hung in there and and um, you know got to it at the end. But I was a, I was a Northland fan for a long time there, late in the Canterbury game. I'm sure you were sitting sitting there, you know, worrying about it because that was another yep. game where you wouldn't want to play Northland on a day like that because they got nothing to lose. But I think they just lost their way early, but then they came screaming back into it. I don't know what I don't know what Canterbury did. They thought they were in the bloody semi final already, but but then also I thought um, it, was, it was a similar game when I watched Wellington play the Bay. You know, the, you thought the Bay were down and out, and then they came screaming back. Um, so which is a good sign, I reckon, Marcia, because it means you can't relax. Um, you know yep. what it's like in a test match. You can be up by 20 if you relax, you get, you get pale. But it, it's good to see that the scattering of players that, um, that came back into the, into the teams, I, I thought it was actually really good rugby and, and um, also, you know, teams coming back into it. So it turned out to be really exciting. Uh, JK, just before we let you go, mate, I've heard the rumour that there's going to be a couple of bolters in that All Black 15 team. Uh, if you were going to pick a couple of bolters out of what you've seen in the NPC this season, who would they be? I like I, I like this guy, Puke. Um, I, I think he's been really, really strong. I don't know why I like him. He's just, he's just um, I, I've just really noticed him. Um, and I think the bolters are going to be where we're a little bit we're a little bit um, short. If you think you know, if Josh Lord is out for the season and Whitelock and Retallick possibly be retired next year, what are we going to do for locks? Mm. Right. So, yeah. uh, what was that other young guy you were telling me about, Marshy from down south there? Fabian Holland. Yeah. Yeah. So I, think, I, I think I, I, 
I think we need to be a little bit selfish on what we're picking moving forward. So they would, those would be the two guys that might be bolters for me. Yeah, nice, mate, nice. Hey, JK, thanks very much, mate. Go enjoy the rest of your uh, Sunday Arvo, eh? Pleasure. See you later. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com.